This very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. Oh, spirit, one spirit, is in this very room, in this very room. I'd like to take just a moment with you as you have your eyes closed, just to continue to breathe deeply. One of the things that Dr. Holmes, our founder, wrote about group spiritual practice was that when members join in practicing not for the purpose of acquiring any specific good, but for the purpose of reaching a higher state of consciousness, there would be less confusion because of a greater degree because of a greater degree of unity. And so I'd like to invite you in this moment to use your consciousness, your awareness, to breathe in and breathe out and to dwell upon a memory or an ideal or an experience of unconditional love. That moment that is exquisite where you know that all is well, all is right with the world, that you are in complete union with this power and presence. To nurture that feeling in your heart center, to embody that feeling tone, that perfect vibrational tone that radiates out in your physical body and blesses every cell. That vibrational tone that impacts your thinking nature, your mentality, lifts you up and out of any error beliefs about yourself to know that you are eternal you have always been always will be that you are in the right place at the right time that your consciousness has brought you to this point and that we are never stuck but it is our opportunity to plant new seeds so as we collectively do this together we don't look for acquisition of any good thing but we are standing in that consciousness of the pure potentiality of life and knowing that the next good thing makes itself apparent and aware in our being in our knowing and in our minds hearts and our souls so I give thanks this day knowing that this talk is grounded in that energetic of unconditional love if any one of your loved ones comes to mind in this moment thinking of them from this place blesses them incredibly well let us know that everyone we love has everything they need let us let this love radiate out into this community and know that everyone within this neighborhood is blessed by this love that everyone in Edmonton is blessed by this love that everyone in Canada is blessed by this love that as we sang a moment ago there's enough love in this room for the whole world 
It doesn't take thousands. It only takes a few. Let us bless North America. Let us bless all of the world, wherever there is discord. The people of the Ukraine, the people in the Mideast, where there always seems to be frustration and anger and hatred that fires up. Let us offer our unconditional love. And so I know as we stand in this together that we have all been lifted, that there is a vibration that we create together that is powerful, beautiful, and wonderful. I know that this day and this community continues to be blessed with unconditional love and the opportunities that that vibrational tone opens for all of us. For this I say yes. Thank you for your yes, your willingness, your beautiful heart, your beautiful mind. Releasing these words in gratitude and appreciation, knowing that we are in a spiral of upward and outward expression of life in a beautiful, amazing way. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Okay, we got that out of the way so we can go home now. Beautiful. Ah, oh, it's so great to be back. I know many of you know I was, uh, we took a, a truer a group of people down to, to John of God. It was our, my third trip down there. I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it today, but uh, much more next week, so you'll have to be here next week to hear the whole story. Um, but um, it's just wonderful to be able to go and come back. It's as much fun, I just told somebody, it's as much fun coming back and seeing everyone as it is going and having that experience because it's just a, there's so much recognition of what is pretty much un- undescribable for many people and for myself. And so one of the reasons that I'm not speaking a whole lot about it today is because I'm still processing. It's still working on me and for me and through me. So I wanted to talk a bit today about co-creation. As Jesse said, beautiful job. Thank, again, thank you, Jesse, for your... So stand up and take a bow. Come on. One of our, our amazing youth here. And... Um, so great to have that energy and on our platform and to share with us on our Teen Sunday and grow this teen group into just a, a, an even more expression of spirit on this planet. So uh, talking about co-creation versus creation. And the first slide up there says the divine mind is infinite, but it needs an outlet. This is come from our third chapter in our Science of Mind textbook. Uh, I've always said about that textbook, don't buy one and try and read it on your own. You need a, you need a, a, a benevolent guide to get you through that textbook. At least I did. Uh, and then I went into the bookstore after first service and everybody was lined up buying a textbook. And I said, well, are you in class? No, I just want to buy the textbook because you told me not to. So whatever you do, don't buy that textbook. <laughs> okay, so, so much for the advice I can give. So as you see the water there, water is such a great metaphor for spirit because what spirit does is it finds its own level. It'll, it will roll and it will find wherever it can have the least amount of resistance. And so uh, it's such a beautiful metaphor for what Dr. Holmes wrote about and what his ministry was about, is that are we or are we not an outlet? And we are all outlets for spirit. He also said that what we draw from it, we must draw through the channels of our own minds. That's why it was so much about the science of mind and the, and the science of mind and spirit, as we know. I would say it's the science of mind, spirit, and love at this point in our, our evolution. But, it, but we can only draw from it um, in, in relationship to what we are in our own thinking, in our own way of being, to become a, a larger outlet of that expression. So I have some examples I want to share with you today. 
Holmes also said that spirit gives us only what we can take. It, it can tell us only what we can understand. So one of the reasons that we promote our classes and getting people into the community, more enrolled in the community, is because as we do this work together, and we're much more potent together than we are individually. It's one of the reasons I wanted to do that, that exercise of unconditional love as we came together today, because it's such a, a beautiful opportunity not to, to do this for any particular outcome other than to lift us up in consciousness. And so when we start first at the level of cause, at the level of our consciousness, then what we plant becomes more, has an opportunity to be more fully uh, orbed, I would say, more alive, more rich, more juicy. And so this is, it's, it's fascinating, and I, I just so appreciate what Dr. Holmes had to offer us. The next slide I have to show you is a, a group of people dancing, another form of expression, another form of people alive with life. And then the next slide is, there's, there's the wind spear. We've been there a few times to do our, our uh, Easter celebration. We decided not to go there this year, but you know, at the, at the Windspear, it is a collective of all these individual geniuses and talents that's coming together that makes this beautiful experience. And I've been there so many times. It's such a gem to have in this community of, of creativity and an outlet. But everything is an outlet. Everything is an outlet of, of this divine expression. It's nature's, it's, it's nature, Nature's nature is to impart, and ours is to receive. So really, then the opportunity is, as I look at this and I read that, is how well am I receiving? If the gifts have already been given, then why am I restricted in my my relationship with that? And yet, the other part of it is that, as I, I mentioned a few times, that you know, spirit or God is not a vending machine. You know, it's not just we keep putting our request in and things keep keep uh, falling out of the, the machine. But in fact, what it is, is is moving into greater and greater experience of, of, of oneness, which is to stand in that co-creation and have this amazing experience. And it is right before us. Holmes, Dr. Holmes writes in this chapter, the arrogant have not perceived the simplicity of faith. We, are, we had a person with us who went on to John of God and he, was, he said, you know, I'm just, I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. And I said, well, good for you. You know, fantastic. I support you in being an atheist. Could you tell me what that means? And then he explained it to me, and I said, well, I'm an atheist too, because I don't believe in that God. I don't believe in a punishing God, a, a, an arbitrary rewarding and punishing God. But, but the point is, is it, 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 but as Holmes said, the arrogant have not perceived the simplicity of faith, which also speaks to humility, that we are not, we are the thing itself, but we are not the totality of the thing. And so it's our opportunity to bring our gifts to it. We have to, we have to meet it halfway. And I have some examples of people that have done that through the, the years and, and some, some insights and awarenesses about this that I think are valuable. The arrogant have not perceived the simplicity of faith, but the pure in heart see God. The farmer has seen the heavenly host in his field. The child has frolicked with him at play. The mother has clasped him or her to her breast. And the fond lover has seen it, him and her, in the eyes of his beloved. So it is in our relationships that we can find it. It is in the world, this form that we find it. It is not off some distant place. It's not a cloud. It's not hidden from us. But it is shifting our, our awareness and our perception so we see it here. Holmes says we look too far away for reality. But that's part of the mystery and that's part of that, that sense of separation that is so popular on the planet. The, the, the traditional uh, teachings for the most part, at that, that, in, that entry level, teach separation, that God's out there somewhere and, and that we're here, when in fact it's all one. When you hear Robert sing a song, he's, he's an outlet for that divine expression. Where do the words come from? 
you know, on the hours that he spent mastering the guitar. You know, he just didn't pick it up one day and, and play it. Hours and hours and hours of devotion. So that's his part. All, re- all people receive some light, Dr. Holmes said. And this light is always the same. So it is in this capacity whether we receive the light or not. When, and I don't know if you know the John of God experience, and it's, it's difficult to explain, but part of this is when we were there, it was interesting. The discussion seemed to be a very uh, prevalent that people wanted to know who was going to be his successor, you know, who's going to take the, the mantle from him and do this work, because he's, he's impacted millions of lives. Thousands of people go through there on a weekly basis. An incredible, incredible man to know his story and see what he's done, see what he's built there. But there's no successor. It's like saying, who's going to be the successor to Jesus? You know, and then it was, they, we, we looked for that, when in fact, all of us embody it and express it in a unique way. The Apostle Paul was the first one to embody the Christ consciousness and write from the Christ consciousness, but he was not the replacement for that. So there will be no replacement, it, but it will evolve and it will grow and it will, and, and so it's, we're never lost, we're never alone. That consciousness is always available to us, expressing it. And that's what Holmes, Holmes taught. So the wonderful man, I'm, I'm reading a, a book influenced by him. The, the next slide is a, a picture of Roberto Asagioli. Roberto was a, a contemporary of Sigmund Freud and of Carl Jung. And what he said, as you see on the slide, is for the healthy-minded, they do not follow their emotions. Their emotions follow them. And so powerful, powerful idea they do not follow their emotions, their emotions follow them. It's part of spiritual evolution, it's part of spiritual maturity. And, and by that I mean that many times it's easy for us to have our hearts broken and we slide into depression. We have experiences in life that break our hearts or crush us or, or disappoint us and all of a sudden we become identified with that. But part of the awakening process is to realize that we over-identify with those experiences and then, but we allow that to define us. And as we awaken, we begin to see that those really aren't situations or experiences that define us so much as they inform us. And then what we can do is we can take that energy, we can take the anger, we can take the frustration, we can take the heartbreak, and we can, we can, we can transform and transmute that energy into something that is powerful. So the next slide is a picture of a fellow. Anybody know who this is? If you're here for the first time, you don't get to guess. Anybody know who that is? That is a... a portrait of Michelangelo. Anybody ever heard of Michelangelo? He did this, uh, next slide, he did this, uh, the Pieta. And he's done, he, he did amazing masterpieces. So I want to share a little bit uh, with you about Michelangelo that I certainly didn't know, and, and maybe you, you don't know as well. But one of his biographers said that Michelangelo could hammer more chips out of very hard marble in a quarter hour than three young stone carvers could do in three or four hours. He would take that chisel and hammer and he would whack away. And he whacked away because he was mad. He was angry. Which has to be seen to believe, he said. And he went at it with such impetuosity and fury that I thought the whole work must go to pieces, knocking off with one blow three or four fingers thick, so close to the mark that if he had gone even slightly beyond, he ran the danger of ruining everything. And no wonder, as his biographer Vasari tells us, Michelangelo himself used to say, using the hammer kept his body healthy. But he had a vision and he had a passion and he wanted to get it done and he wanted to create. So he was on fire. So he didn't come in and, he, you know, and, and wait till he was in the perfect spot and he'd been you know, meditating for hours and feeling really peaceful and centered. 
We used to have a guy that came to the center many, many times. He'd come in. I'd say, how'd you do this week? And he'd say, I lost my peace. Oh, my gosh, you lost your peace? Well, geez, you're going to have to go right out the door. We can't have anybody in here that lost their peace. But it's not about losing our peace. We lose our peace all the time. It's about taking that energy and understanding our, our divine nature. And so it's all of a sudden finding ourselves getting frustrated and angry and saying, what can I pour this energy into? And this, this fallacy, I think, that exists that, well, I can't do anything until I'm perfectly at peace and I'm happy. Hmm, maybe. Another slide that, that, that uh, we're going to put up for you is a picture of, anybody know this guy? That's Beethoven. Yep. And Beethoven was trained by his father. He was going to go study with um, um, Mozart, and then, but he, he had other teachers. He wanted to study with Mozart, but he ended up having other teachers. But what happened with, uh, with Beethoven was, and this is verbatim from him, how creation occurred for him. He says, you will ask me where I get my ideas, because Holmes talks about intuition in this chapter. That when we start to awake, our spirits start to wake up, our intuition becomes more apparent, and we start to trust the guidance, but it takes time. It's a language. It's just like going to John of God. It's a language there. I realize it's just a language, and there's no, there's no words to the language. It's a feeling tone, and you all know the feeling tone. It's just that it's, you're immersed in it, and immersed in it, and immersed in it, and it works on you, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is just a beautiful thing. You will ask me where I get my ideas. That I cannot say with certainty. They come unbidden, indirectly, directly. I could grasp them with my hands in the midst of nature, in the woods, on walks, in the silence of the night, in the early morning, inspired by moods that translate themselves into words for the poet and into tones for me. Sound, surge, roar, until at last they stand before me as notes. And so in other words, he was available to it, and he did his training. He brought himself to it. He studied and studied and studied, and he learned the language of the notes and the music and his influences and all that he immersed himself in. But he also didn't know where the ideas came from. So it's the co-creation and the creation. And it's it's setting off in a certain direction that, that one feels called to. And maybe sometimes it's not clear. Maybe sometimes we just don't know, but we know we have to follow this. We have to walk through this door. And that is the love that, that we can bring to this, this creative possibility. As Holmes said, love points the way and the law makes the way possible. So our spontaneous nature, our passion to do things, our passion to, to be an outlet for, the, for spirit, and once we understand that, see, Holmes said that trained thought is much more powerful than untrained thought. It's why we, we want to get people into class because there's all kinds of untrained thoughts going on in our heads. And as long as we continue to run with the untrained thoughts, we keep having the same things over and over again and wondering why life's not getting better. And so to be able to slow down and look at our thinking nature and our feeling nature and realize that our, our, our emotions are not an enemy, but in fact what they are is an opportunity to take that frustration and that anger, whatever it is, and put it into something to help make a difference upon the planet. And that's such a powerful thing. That's such a wonderful thing. I mean, look at all the things that have come out of, out of tragedy on the planet. Look at uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. It was started by a mother who lost their child. But I mean, that's just one example. There are many, many, many. Years ago, I was at the Omega Institute, and we, we had the evenings off, and I would go to these different presentations because we were doing a writer's workshop during the day. And there was always somebody that would talk about, well, this, this modality was, was developed by a parent who wanted to help their child. Almost every one of them. Uh, isn't that interesting? That someone met something that looks like a tragedy and, and found a way to help, a way through to a different a pattern of thinking and a plan in place to, to help support their child. So necessity truly is the mother of invention. 
So one of the great influences of Dr. Ernest Holmes was a man by the name of Ralph Waldo Emerson. And Emerson is a, was an amazing um, speaker, philosopher, writer, minister. And the next slide says, he, so what he said about it is that good indignation brings out all one's power. See, there's nothing wrong with being indignant. But then taking that energy and moving it into something productive to make a change in the world. Each state of consciousness, Holmes writes in this chapter, each state of consciousness taps the same source, but has a different receptivity. Each receives what he or she asks for according to their ability to own it, to embody it. So that's why I talk about the kingdoms of consciousness, because love in the, in the victim state of consciousness, first kingdom, is different than love in the third kingdom. Because love in the first kingdom of victim consciousness is very selfish and small and puny. It doesn't look like anything like the person living in the third kingdom of consciousness would describe as love. And so how do I move the, if I'm living most of the time, if my house is in victim consciousness, how do I move? I want to be in the third kingdom. Well, I got to get much better in first kingdom, identifying it, noticing when I'm there and moving into second kingdom because you can't stop a kingdom. Kingdom is about, and the second kingdom is all about manifestation. It's all about using our spiritual practices to shift the conditions of our life. And, what, and the movement that's happening on the planet right now is not just doing that, but then taking it into the third kingdom. So we, we move from that creativity where we're, we're white-knuckling in ourselves and, and, and coming up with enough courage to push our fear down because our fear is still alive in us that we don't belong and we're not good enough and we don't deserve and on and on and on. It's still there, but we keep pushing it down and working, the, and working these principles. That's why it's so uncomfortable. I'm perfect, whole, and complete. And that little voice inside says, no, you're not, no, you're not. Yes, I am, yes, I am. No, you're not, no, you're not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. On and on and on. And then all of a sudden, one day we wake up and go, what am I fighting this for? Why don't I just declare victory and move over into the third kingdom? <sighs> so nice to be over there. Aren't you glad we're all there right now? <sighs> so it is. But, it's, but, it, but that's what the energy it takes to shift us out of it because if we don't take responsibility and if we don't do the work, if we don't, and let's not say the work, if we don't put our efforts forward in a mindful way because we're thinking all the time anyway, then who's going to do it for us? Next picture is a picture of, uh, you know this fella. I know everybody knows who this is. I'm working on getting my hair to look like that. His biographer and friend said that Einstein had this unbelievable obstinacy when he was working on his theory of relativity. Ten years. Leave me alone. I'm working on this. Get away from me. He, just, he was relentless trying to figure it out and do the work. And so examples of people that have shaped what we, we enjoy and experience today that, that, you know, it wasn't all love. It wasn't all kisses. It wasn't all... You know, let's, let's just, you know, like Tiny Tim, tip throw through, through the tulips. Next picture is a woman. Anybody know who that is? Florence Nightingale, all the nurses in the room say. When they asked Florence this question that's up there, what is your motivation for your immensely productive work in the hospital? She did not say, it's because I have my afternoons free and I like to help people. She didn't say, well, it feels like a good idea. She said rage. One word, rage. She saw the atrocities. She saw people being marginalized and not cared for and all the things around her. And she stood up and said, no. And she used that energy. She used that energy to transform that whole culture of healthcare. But it takes energy. So I'm telling you, if you're, if you're, if you're really mad right now, 
man, good for you, because you get to put all that energy into something productive. And then the opportunity is to figure out what that's going to be. And that's the slippery slope, because sometimes we can just, then everybody says, don't go near them anymore. They're really angry. That's not the goal. But it's to take that energy and to be so committed to understand this is an opportunity for me to transform this consciousness that I've been given all this in my earlier experiences and now it's my opportunity to become the alchemist in my life and to take something that appears to be worthless and turn it into a treasure. I mean, that's the activity we're about here, I believe. Holmes said, to demonstrate a particular good, we must become conscious of this particular good if we wish to experience it. So what we have to do, train thought means we get an idea in mind and we begin to, begin to work in that direction. And we set the intention. And then there's, there's things that work on us because we must, become, we must become an alignment, an embodiment of that experience, shifting in consciousness. So if I desire to have a richer, fuller, more joyful experience of life, then how can I live and move and operate for more love? And sometimes what, the, what that anger will do is, is remind us when we start to go off the slopes and start to blame and shame people is to realize, no, 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 that is the fuel that, that, that moves me forward in what I know to be true for myself and the legacy that I want to leave upon this planet. When I was in Abidjani, I was there with someone from Saskatoon. You know, we've, we've done a lot of work, wonderful work. We have great leadership going on here around facility and, and what's happening and with our budget this year. And we've sent a letter out to a number of you and asking for some support to help us close that gap even more. And thank you so much for that. But the reason that, that a lot of that is going on is we have a wonderful opportunity here to do some amazing stuff. And I'm with the people from this, a couple of people from the Saskatoon Church that have been there for Center for Spiritual Living, just like here. And I said, how's the center going? You know, you always want to know how your brothers and sisters are doing. And they said, well, it's pretty well done. I said, what? It's done. It's over. I said, well, tell me more. And they told me what was going on. And so it's still there. There's about three people meeting on a Sunday. But there's no, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's dissipated. Which to me is just taking, is not using what we teach. And so it may have to all implode so something else can rise. But it's done. And then I was talking to my friend who's got the church in uh, the, the larger center in Calgary, Reverend Pat Campbell. We were on the phone the other day and I said, what's the biggest challenge you have right now? Where are you moving? She said, well, we sold our building. We sold their building, and they got, they got a lot of money for their building. And uh, I said, so what's the biggest need? And she said, well, right now, our people want to have a, a spiritual home. They want to have a building. They really miss that. They're meeting at Sate right now, and it's a, it's a church in a box. And so the reason I share that with you is we have an opportunity. One of the reasons that, that I, I stand before you as the leader and cast the vision is because I think that what we're doing is amazing, and it's powerful, and it's wonderful, and we're helping, we're helping support all of ourselves into living the, the, the fullest possible expression of spirit we can. But where this community goes is up to us. And so when, I send, when we send a letter out and say, hey, we can really use your help, it's because I care more about the future of this place and I'm willing to risk that people may get upset with me and they ask because that's my job and I love what we do here and I believe in what we do and it's precious and it's, it's powerful and it's my life. But I had to do a lot of healing around that because Jesus, you know, Jesus, we sent a letter out and asked people to help us. What are they going to think of me? It's like, get over it. Get over it, man. I want to be part of something that's alive and beautiful and powerful and that we can send our youth off and, so that, the, that when my grandchildren come here, they're still here. And it's, it's vibrant and alive and beautiful. And it's just an opportunity. It's just, it's just our energy. We're giving our energy out all the time. So I share that with you because I thought, wow, that's what happens when you don't stand up and ask. It just goes away. 
That's what happens when you sell your resources so it will look like it's easier. And then all of a sudden people say, boy, it was great when we had our own building. Remember we had that labyrinth? So the vision and the, and the, the things that are happening here for all of us are different than that. The conversation is different. And so you can come up to me and you can share with me your, 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 your concerns about that or your reservations about that and I will honor them and say, man, I can go there with you too. I can get scared and I can, I can believe at times there's not enough, but that's not my role here because I believe in the possibility. I believe in the possibility in my own life and I believe in the possibility in your life and I see you as capable. So that's why we ask because I see you as, as abundant and prosperous and capable. And that's wonderful to be able to do that, do that ask and, and, and come in collaboration with that from that perspective. Trained thought is far more powerful than untrained thought. A passive meditation will never produce an active demonstration. So we need to bring our life force and our energy to it. We need to fine-tune those frustrations that we have at times and that anger that wells up. And, and, then, and then what I used to do is because I would get angry, I think I'm not spiritual. And I went into my teacher one day and I said, you know, I just had another argument with somebody and it got really, really heated. And she just laughed. She just, I, kept, I kept looking for an excuse. So she'd say, okay, well, you're not for this. You need to go back over there and hang out with those people. Because that's really what I was hoping she'd tell me. And she would just laugh and go, oh, there you go again, getting upset. Yeah, but aren't you going to send me away now, please? <laughs> nope. But I got it now. Holmes writes in this, Dr. Holmes writes in this pig iron. He talks about pig iron. Pig iron is that metal that you melt and it'll take any shape. Our consciousness is that form. Whatever we decide to put into this form, the infinite intelligence will fill. Whatever we decide. So how are we better able to do that? Well, we do that better by, by having spiritual practice in our lives, being around people of like mind, having a meditation practice, having an active and dynamic prayer practice. If you're struggling with an area in your life today, come up here at the end and invite one of these beautiful practitioners to support you. That's why we do prayer partnership here. When we're stuck, we, invite, we borrow someone else's consciousness to know a possibility and a truth for us when we can't get there ourselves. That's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. I was blessed, I was in a very small community with my teacher and she was my practitioner. And I, every week I went in and saw her for years. I thought, okay, I'm here. And I used to say to her, why is this taking so long? And she'd laugh at me again. You know, I wanted to know how long this was gonna take. And she would just say, it takes as long as it takes. But you're eternal. So why not, and she'd say, Patrick Cameron, you do this work now or you'll do it later. I'm like, oh man, I didn't want to hear that. I wanted the quick fix. The last slide is a picture of a garden. And I think it's such a beautiful metaphor. If you look up there, you see the plants and you see the lawn and you see it all beautifully put together. I cannot, of my own power, grow a flower or one blade of grass. I can't even create dirt. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a force for good in the universe as Holmes would say, and I'm using this picture as an example that is always seeking an outlet. But what I do know is someone showed up and picked the plants and planted the seeds. Someone decided how much lawn there was gonna be and placed that there. And then someone comes in and trims it and makes it look beautiful. That's our part. 
See, we're not in it alone. All the hard stuff is done for us. Could you imagine if we had to create God, what that would look like if all of us had had a say in that? It'd be like designing an elephant with a group, you know? There'd be trunks everywhere. But, but, but our, our opportunity then is we don't have to, we don't have to create the dirt, we don't have to create this, this impulse for expression, we just simply have to direct it through our thinking and become the outlet for it. And it's such a, it's a, such a beautiful experience and so easy to forget because we go right back into, it's easy to go back into our habitual patterns of thinking. That's why I love going to the John of God experience because I get pulled out of all that and I look at it and I go, oh my gosh, there's no, what, am, what are you worried about? Just continue to nurture the relationship and plant the seeds of possibility and see what shows up. And then, and then, and then there's more opportunity and more opportunity. It's endless. It's an endless cycle. How much of the infinite good is ours, as Holmes would say? All of it. It's all ours. How much of it may we have to use as much as we can embody? So when we were doing that meditation around unconditional love as I did the opening prayer, when you can, when you can get to the point in your life where something that you want to uh, realize and bring into your experience, more than 50% throughout your day, spend time practicing. If I'd ask you what percentage do you dwell upon that ideal in your life, and maybe you're at one or 2%, maybe it's zero. You start to build that proficiency within your consciousness. See, I see, I see a facility here for us, and this is not the only thing I'm working on, but when I look, I see what the possibilities. I see, I see a building that works for us in every way, so that what, what programs do we do there? Well, we do Sunday service. We don't have a roof that leaks. We have it that holds the heat. We have space for our teens and our cosmic kids and our tweens and all at the same time. We have plenty of classrooms. We have a place where we can go hang out and have coffee afterwards in a way that... This is not spectacular. People in, in communities have been doing this for years. But I see that as the next right step. And, and it's been a collaboration of ideas, so I see it complete. That's my role, to see what it looks like. We're going to have plans done here in a couple more months. And we'll show those to you. And then you can dwell on it too with me, and we get to the 50% of knowing, and it's like, wow, look at this. Look what this community did of these like-minded people. I mean, in 50 years from now, what will they say about us? Oh, they believed in the unlimited possibilities. They believed that they were individualized expressions of God, but they couldn't maintain a building. (sighs) Ah, uh uh-huh. I got it. So we were announcing rather than embodying. So let's not talk about facility, because that's, that's boring. Here's what I think is really what we're about here, and I'll leave you with this. This is from Piero Ferrucci's What We May Be, which was, which was inspired by the work of uh, Robert, Roberto Asagioli. And, and he said to conclude at the end of this chapter, about he calls this chapter the Tigers of Wrath. To conclude, on this planet, one person kills another every 20 seconds. That's the world we live in. Every 20 seconds, someone's killing somebody. One dollar of six is given to military expense. It costs $14,800 per year to maintain a soldier versus $230 to educate a child. A gun is sold in the United States every 13 seconds. The tragically clumsy way in which humanity handles its own aggression generates massive destructiveness. We all realize that the solutions to this immense problem are difficult and extremely complex. But these shocking statistics suggest the importance of personal transformation. And that's what we teach. That's what we support. 
That's what we honor here, personal transformation. Personal transformation as one of the many ways needed to deal with this critical situation. It's not the only answer, but it's one of the tools in the toolbox. And as you and I embody more and more of it, the clarity that emerges and the doorways for us to walk through and the causes to stand for individually and collectively become clearer and clearer and clearer. And then we just become an ambassador of light. And an ambassador, as Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He was right on, we are. But how much light are you willing to shine forth? As much as you can hold, as much as you can embody. So it's a, it's a beautiful tradition. You know, I come back from this mystical experience of John of God, and as I said, the joy for me is, it's, it's as joyful for me to be here with you and share the energy that, that I come back with because it's such a perfect fit for what we represent. It is like we're, we're brothers or sisters. It's the same family of spirituality. And that's an, that's an amazing and inspiring thing because despite what the world looks like, there are people like you and I that continue to nurture that possibility, continue to hold a high watch for one another. So if you feel guided today to, to seek out one of our practitioners that'll be up here before you, accept that gift into your life. All it takes is a yes in the twinkling of an eye, as Holmes said. So I'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Blessings.